the Lord had been put on my heart, and I've said this a couple of times, but it's not injurious to repeat it, that there was a point in my life when he said there will there'll be a day when there's five, a five-year window that you need to do some things in, and, and that would be to begin to transition the church to young leadership, younger leadership, carry it into another generation, and uh, train up and find, you know, Paul, Timothy, Elijah, Elisha, Moses, Joshua. I remember when I became pastor here 25 years ago, I thought, hey, man, I'm the Joshua. <laughs> yeah, ooh, yeah. And I've been around long enough to become the Moses, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a reversal, believe me. It's crazy. But, but uh, so a couple of years ago, that began for me. And I didn't think it was anything I needed to talk about publicly. And for a couple of years, the Lord began to work it into my heart. And as you know, then on March 1st, we announced the transition beginning. Uh, and that was a three-year transition. So for me, it's been it's a five-year window. Two years have already gone by, and God's been preparing my heart, preparing direction for me as leader of the church. And so now we're in the three-year window. That does not mean that at the end of three years, everything's going to stop or quit or retire or any of that. It's just a window of preparation and, and uh, strengthening and continuing to reach out and build what... God's given us to do in our part of the kingdom of God in this community and around the world. We're not we're not going to slow down. We're not going to give up. We're not going to cave in. Amen? We're going somewhere, and we are doing it with purpose. We're going to do it on purpose. And it just surprises me how God can be so in charge. Yeah? Yeah? Does he surprise you, too? You thought you were in charge, and you woke up one day and realized you weren't. And he's in charge. So much so that, I mean, all the wrestling over what about my contrition? Where will they be? And then have them put right down the street and to say, good, let's go. Let's work in the community. Let's stay faithful to the call of God here. So that's great. That's good. We're still on the same team and working in the same deal. Uh, but you're tithing here, right? <laughs> that was a subtle approach there. celebrating with them tonight we're you know eric says i were texting back and forth this morning already you know hey congratulations you know peace on you don't be nervous he texts him up and back oh thank you it's this great day and we'll see you at dinner tonight and you know it's it's a it's a it's an up time but it doesn't mean it's not without emotions or without this uh if you've been in the office you realize anybody walks up there goes gee it sure looks empty up here and it does you know, all Mike's books are gone. I can't hardly wait to see him in his, his office and let him make the coffee. Amen. I'll go visit him. And I'm sure we're welcome there. So it's a good time. And um, we begin to pray now in the second phase of what God showed us. And I don't know how many phases there really are. I just say second because I knew the first was that we begin to pray that God would open a fruitful door of ministry for the Erickson's. That is now happening today. And I'm going to slip this in because it's significant to me, and I don't mean to embarrass them. I've already embarrassed them so much. Uh, the Newkirks. <clears throat> we talked about their encounter last time. Anyway, if you weren't here, then good. <laughs> but she's in labor today. Yeah? And I'm thinking, oh, there's, see, you know, in the natural, here's a, just a symbolism again for me that there's new birth happening today. You know, when I got news this morning, she was in labor. I said, oh, bring it today. Bring it today. Let it be a, a, a marker. Let this little baby become a marker of history that says, on this day, God birthed his plans 
in full swing. And, and, and we came out going, yeah! Let's do this thing. Amen. Sorry for those who are listening online. That probably was a surprise to you. Congratulations to them. We'll pray for Tina today to just have a great time of her first child. Praise the Lord. There goes one of mine. Bye, Dawson. (laughs) Today we're going to talk about prayer uh, because it is National Day of Prayer Week. It doesn't take batteries this time. But there are only certain occasions in the year when you get to wear something like this. And uh, National Day of Prayer. I'm going to just start by reading a presidential proclamation. We'll read this again probably on Thursday night. And I've sent out an email to all the cell leaders, lighthouse keepers, and asked you to lead your cell groups this week to the National Day of Prayer. I'm asking you to substitute the National Day of Prayer gathering for your regular meetings. Uh, You might say, oh, we want to still meet. That's fine. But you still need to be at the National Day of Prayer. I'm asking you to lead your cell groups to the National Day of Prayer. Call each other. If you're and call your cell leader, say, where are we going to sit? You know, where will you look for me when I go in the sanctuary? I'll be over this area or I'll hold a sign up or something. Let's gather as cells at the National Day of Prayer and demonstrate how we work together and uh, for some kingdom advancement. And so I've, uh, you'll get that email, I hope. I had some email problems with that one, but I think you got it. By President of the United States of America, a proclamation. Whereas the Senate of the United States, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God in all the affairs of men and of nations, has by resolution requested the President to designate and set apart a day for national prayer and humiliation. And whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. And insomuch as we know that by his divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, May we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as No other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. 
Now, therefore, in compliance with the request and fully concurring in the views of the Senate, I do by this my proclamation designate and set apart Thursday, the 30th of April, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And I do hereby request all the people to abstain on that day from their ordinary secular pursuits and to unite at their several places of public worship and their respective homes in keeping the day holy to the Lord and devoted to the humble discharge of the religious duties proper to that solemn occasion. All this being done in sincerity and truth, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that the united cry of the nation will be heard on high and answered with blessings, no less than the pardon of our national sins and the restoration of our now divided and suffering country, restoration to its former happy condition of unity and peace. In witness whereof, I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed. Done at the city of Washington this 30th day of March in the year of our Lord, 1863, and of the independence of the United States, the 87th, by the President, Abraham Lincoln. Would nice, it would be very nice to have one like this come out this week, but I'm not sure it will read much the same. When you go back to the beginning of that again, you hear the Senate in full agreement said, we need this. Tell the president to write a proclamation. And the president says, I agree with the Senate. We must humble ourselves before God Almighty. We're not talking about any God, every God. We're talking about the Christian God. We're talking about the God of scriptures. We're talking about leaning on the promises of God that come from the divine teachings. Not just any set of accepted, quote unquote, divine teachings. But his word, let us humble ourselves, fast and pray. I was impressed by President Lincoln's proclamation in this, that he is actually saying, I want to make sure and encourage all the people to not even do their own secular work that day. Stop the nation. Shut down the busing, the trains, shut down the horse wagons and the merchants. Shut down everything secular, meaning, you know, of ourselves. Just put a stop to it and gather in public places of worship, and gather in homes, and humble ourselves, and fast. Can you imagine a president calling a nation to quit eating for a day? I mean, even Wall Street would stand up in arms and say, what are you trying to do, ruin the economy? No, we're trying to bless the economy. We're trying to have the favor of Almighty God on a nation. It's been said by President Obama that we are not a Christian nation any longer, and has even inferred more than once that we have never been a Christian nation. This is distressing. I'm not here to be political. I'm just saying it's distressing to have a leader of the nation who doesn't even know his own history. That's scary. And to make that declaration makes me nervous. But I am first a Christian before I'm an American. I was born an American, but I became a Christian. I belong to another kingdom. You belong to another kingdom. We are in the world, but not of it. And if this nation were to fully be sold out to the enemy and uh, become like other nations who have turned their back on God and uh, are suffering there because of it. I think of countries like India where, you know, worshiping anything and everything and all that leads to such poverty and distress and death. Uh, Look at all the 
the heyday that's going on in, in Africa. You know, we've pumped $50 billion into, into Africa over the last 50 years. And it's not much better than it was when we started. The reason is because it's simple. It's always simple. Not easy, but it's always simple. It's because a whole nation will not acknowledge the God who made them. Why is America great? If it is great anymore, it's only great to the extent that its people are Christian. It's only great to the extent that people still humble themselves and pray to Jesus Christ through him to the Father. That's the only thing that will make a nation great. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that is not interchangeable in all faiths. It's not interchangeable to say the Lord. And, you know, that could be Hare Krishna or Confuciusism or, or Darwinism or any other ism. It's not available. It's the Lord. It's the Lord, the, the Hebrew God, the Lord, the one we read about, the Lord Almighty, mighty in battle. It's He that we bow our knees to. I found something of interest that I thought I would try my best to share with you, and I, I don't think I did very well last evening. But there are, I printed out two messages uh, of history. One's called prayer. The other one's called intercessory prayer. And I won't give you the full background and history on this. It would probably bore you. But these were both written by Charles Hodge. And if you don't know who Charles Hodge is, he was the president of Princeton Theological Seminary for about 50 years. There was a, a magazine called the Princeton Review that was put out, and he wrote more than 150 articles as the editor of that magazine to try and influence the culture of his day with truth as he saw it from the scriptures. Now, uh, he was specifically Calvinist, but in that uh, he was gracious in that he broadened his reach and said, you know, I'm not going to be a stuffy Calvinist. I'm just going to be my vein of theology. And he wrote a systematic theology with three volumes. He's a brilliant man. And, but he embraced others who were not necessarily Calvinistic as he was because he realized there's a great God in heaven who is overall and covers all of theology. But in his responsible life, he wrote a systematic theology that would help others. He influenced thousands of students at Princeton. Uh, something like 4,000 students came under his tutelage through the years and he, he has effectively fanned that out into the future by ministering to those guys. And the thing that I found of interest, and that's probably enough history on him, is that he wrote this message on prayer, January 27, 1856. This is just four years before Abraham Lincoln is elected as president of the United States. In fact, President Lincoln was elected in 1860, took office in March 4, 1861. Think of this, March 4th, he becomes president by April the 12th. The first shot is fired at Fort Sumter, and civil war breaks out. In the midst of that, so here you have 1856, one of the Christian leaders in the nation at the time is saying, pray, pray, and pray specifically, and pray these things, and develop your prayer life, and let us be a people that call upon God for our help. Four years later, the nation is at war with itself, and in the midst of that war... 1863, we have this proclamation from the president. So I, I just began to see chronology. And then this message on intercessory prayer was written and published November 26, 18, 
65, just months after the assassination of President Lincoln. And, and I thought, gee, this, this should be like today. We should have been led up to this time reminding ourselves that we're a people of prayer. This is one of the distinctions of Christianity is that we call upon somebody greater than ourselves who is alive from the grave and who can affect the way things change and how we live. He can affect cultures and communities. He can truly direct nations, but only if there are a people who will call upon his name in prayer. And then when we're in trouble, we need leadership that will say, let us humble ourselves and fast and pray before God. Almighty, because there's no other hope for us. Just kind of a subnote in reading my little history. Last couple of days, I come to discover that Abraham Lincoln was actually very, very involved in developing the Christian Commission, which set up posts near battlefields where scriptures were given out and gospel was preached. And during the Civil War, during those years of 1861 to 1865, more than 300,000 of our troops came to Christ during the war because of the preaching of the gospel. It wasn't the same on both sides, and it still confuses most of us that we would fight against ourselves in such a horrific way, killing one another, and yet on both sides, calling on God for his help. That's a little confusing, isn't it? But nonetheless, in the midst of that, we had the call for prayer. And as a result of prayer, Bible societies were involved New Testaments and scriptures were given out. Uh, Clubs were formed in troops where they would sit around in their tents and their fires and pass one worn New Testament from one. They called them reading groups. And they would take turns reading the scriptures and counting on one another for the gospel story. And when the chaplains would come, they would all run to the edge of the camp and say, the the Bible man is here. (laughs) And they would all be trying to con him out of another Bible. There are stories of in the battlefields where guys were kneeling in open fields, praying and worshiping and singing, and, and, the, and the, other, the other side was launching mortars and things in on top of them, and they would just stay there until the chaplain called for the benediction, and then they would get up and run for cover. But they were worshiping God and still fighting one another. It's a crazy thing. But you and I are called this week specifically to intercessory prayer. We're called to pray. We're called to respond to, even if the government is not going to call us to prayer, then we call ourselves to prayer. For example, there are lawsuits right now in pending or in place that are trying to stop the National Day of Prayer. And there are lawsuits that are designed specifically to restrict believers from gathering at city halls around the nation and praying at the noon hour on the National Day of Prayer. You think, wow, what are we coming to? Well, I'll tell you what we're coming to. We're coming to noon on Thursday at City Hall. (laughs) And the homework I have for you is a seven-day prayer strategy that is being used across the nation by lots of people. Uh, But it's simply taking this bent of, on each day, grabbing the President's proclamation. <clears throat> Let me give you an example here for tomorrow. And could somebody come help me hand these out, please? Just pass these around to everybody. Uh, appreciate that. Just get them out there. And you'll see what I'm talking about, like on Monday, tomorrow, or let's back up to today, Sunday, May 3rd, the topic being religion. 
Go to as many different churches in your community as possible, as well as the locations where other gods are worshipped. Proclaim the Lincoln Proclamation there. And the last page of this is the Lincoln Proclamation that I just read to you. Redemptively pray the following over the true church. And there are bullet points that those who name the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior would experience a personal revival and fresh commitment of their lives to God and His purposes. And it goes on. The godly sorrow and true repentance would come to the church. That there would be a greater revelation and release of God's kingdom through the church. That believers would discern the times culturally and nationally. That a fear of man would be replaced by a true fear of the Lord. That God would grant his church, as he did Joseph and Daniel, divine wisdom and strategies to engage culture with answers to questions and solutions to the real problems around us. You know, it may seem subtle, but I'll inject here. Most of you, I think, will know Bonnie Schaefer. Bonnie Schaefer has become the, I forget her title right now, I apologize for that, Bonnie, but <clears throat> she's the point person for... Um, deterring young drug use in our community for Operation Breakthrough. She's building a committee, a community watch group, to begin to decide and build policy and change laws if we can and decide together as team members how to most effectively keep young children from ever using drugs and alcohol in our community. And you go, wow, there's a, there's a fruitless war. No, not necessarily. When we say this, we're praying that God would grant his church, as he did Joseph and Daniel, divine wisdom and strategies to engage culture with answers to questions and solutions to the real problems around us. And to have a Christian at the point is significant. Have a leader who will stand up and say, I will take this job, I will organize this Activity. I will lead in our community a group of people, both Christian and non-Christian, counselors and seculars and believers together. How can we most effectively stop our young people in this community from ever getting drugs in their system? That's a cultural war. And God is placing Daniels at the head of these things and, and Sarah's and Esther's. And he's leading us in this time to take effective hold of our culture and make a difference bring in the influence of heaven so these are things you can pray pray that young leaders would emerge who will bring the culture of the kingdom to the highest level of every cultural mountain and that cultural mountain issue is covered at the beginning in the opening paragraph of this paper so I give that to you and just to suggest to you that if you would like to participate with a national group of people you could do it collectively as a cell you could do it one or two in your car and drive to different places uh, meet for lunch and then go next door and read the proclamation. The idea is to simply just have the power of the spoken word across our nation bring us back to a point, as Abraham Lincoln had proclaimed, that we're going to humble ourselves and pray. And we're going to speak truth over our nation. We're going to pray the things of God into place because prayer changes things. Now, does prayer change things because I'm such a good prayer? Does prayer change things because... I am such an effective intercessor. Well, we can't discount our participation in prayer because God calls us to pray. When God calls us to pray and calls us specifically to intercession, we understand that to intercede means to stand between two people, to stand between God and man, to stand between one thing or another is intercession. 
It's that role of peacemaker at times, and it's also that role of mediator. It's a, it's, it's a kingly activity. It's a priestly activity given to us by Scripture where God in Revelation says he has made us a kingdom of kings and priests. All of us have kingly authority. And we know that from scriptures, Jesus said, I give you all authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And that the best place for Satan to be is under our feet. And may the God of peace soon crush Satan underneath your feet, according to Romans. Paul writing to us. And so we are to exercise that authority. We're to stand in the gap, according to Ezekiel 22.30. I looked for a man among them who would stand in the gap and build up a hedge, but I couldn't find one, God says. And therefore, I, uh, the picture there is that there's a, there's a crack in the, in the protective hedge around a city. There's a hedge work or a wall that they would build to fortify around cities. And if there was a break in the wall, then the enemy would come through that point and attack and defeat. In this case, God says, there's a breach in the wall around my people and I am going to bring judgment and I am the just judge and I must bring judgment against them and I'm going to come right through this breach in the wall with judgment unless I find an intercessor who will stand in the gap of that wall and build up the hedge and plead for mercy. God, we deserve your judgment but please don't bring it. God, there's a breach in our wall. We have torn down the safety that surrounds us as a nation. And if you don't think we have, then let me just shake your tree and wake you up a little bit. We're still a nation that kills our unborn. We're still a nation that celebrates divorce. We're still a nation that builds systems to underwrite the broken home and to have children grow up without their parents. We are, we are, we are, we're a mess. We're a mess. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. I mean, I cannot believe it still just boggles my mind that, for example, pornography is illegal. Okay? It's illegal. And yet, when we were going through this downturn in our economics, you know, this big thing we've been going through now for a while, and they were all looking for bailout money. One of the guys looking for bailout money was the greatest, one of the greatest pornographer distributors. And the government was actually trying to figure out should they or shouldn't they. I mean, there's a distracted people. Gee, should we or shouldn't we? <clears throat> you and I are not that far removed from it. Let's not let ourselves off the hook because we shop and we, we spend our money at places that do that too. And so by supporting that, we are involved. And as a nation... <coughs> Come on, as a nation, we are gendering destructive habits. And then we build pockets of people to try and defend it. So you guys go fight against it. You be a group. You be a thing. Wave your banners and all that while I go over here and buy some. It's all about other people, not about me. And so there's, there's big gaps in our wall around our nation. And as some have said, and it's often said as a joke, but there is a, there's a hint of truth here. That if God does not judge America, then he should send an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because we look like them. We just may be a little classier looking. You know, we drive nicer cars, wear nicer clothes perhaps than they did in Sodom and Gomorrah. But the same practices are occurring. You know, we've got people knocking on the door saying, send out your little boys and... Send out your little girls and let us molest them. 
And you and I are being called on to call down the angels from heaven who will pull the people inside the house and say, you can't get in and strike them with blindness. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're being called on by other leaders in the nation. We're being called on by one another to stand in these gaps and to build up the hedge so that judgment does not come in against us. If we were to get what we deserve as a nation, we would be in greater trouble than we are now. God has been merciful to us. And there's purpose for that. There is a reason for that. He wants to still use this nation to reach the world with the gospel. He's raising up other nations who are becoming more and more responsive to sending missionaries into other parts of the world. China is one of the great missionary sending groups now. And they're, they're training people to send them into the Middle East. The Chinese evangelizing the Middle Easterns. The Indians in India are developing nations. You know, the India is the second largest populated country in the world now, only behind China. I don't know how they packed them all into that little triangle, but they're in there. And believe me, if they could have some of our land, they would love to move in. Amen? But that little nation, geographic space, huge population, Christian inroads are happening there. People are getting saved, and they're training up leaders and sending them west into the Middle East trying to win all those people to Jesus. We still have a responsibility as a, quote, Christian nation to live right, to pray right, to stand in the gap, to build up the hedge and pray for God's mercy so that we can continue not just to dwell in peace and prosperity and to forget him again, but that we should come back to a point of remembering who's in charge of his kingdom inside this earth. And inside this country. So we are called to intercession. It's a commandment. Paul says to Timothy, I exhort therefore first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And especially those who are in authority. James tells us pray one for another. The Lord commands us to pray for our enemies and to bless those who persecute us and curse us and treat us roughly. We were just speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you need to remember that it was who got out of there? Lot. Lot and his family. Why? Because Abraham interceded. Because Abraham stood with God. God said, Can I hide from Adam or from Abraham? He's my friend. Can I hide from him what I'm about to do to these cities? And so he sends the other two on ahead and they stay in. As friends, Abraham's standing next to God and talking. And, and Abraham's once he finds out what's about to happen to these cities to be destroyed, he says, well, what if there's 50 righteous in the city? Would you still, that's not like you. You wouldn't destroy the whole city with the righteous inside. What if you find 50 righteous? And he says, okay, if I find 50 righteous, I'll spare the city. Well, what if you only find 40? And I tell you what, this is... Uh, I'm not trying to stereotype, but Abraham's the father of the Jews, you know. And, man, he was already bargaining with God. I just love this. I just love this story. I mean, there's a, there's a tenor here of, of the Hebrew culture that is significant to me. I, I love it. I, I don't work in it well, but I love to hear it. You know, it's like if you go to the, the, the suit sellers, you know, and, and you say, Hey, do you, this is a nice suit. Do you have this in blue? And they say, Do you like it in blue? 
<laughs> yeah, I like it in blue. We have it in blue. Get it in blue. He wants a blue one. What if there's only 40? Well, then I'll spare 40. What, what if there's 30? And he gets them all the way down to 10. God says, okay, I get the point, Abraham. Your intercession is effective. I'll get Lot out of town. He sends angels in to get Lot and his family. Don't look back. Let's get out of here. But it was the intercession that saved Lot's family's life. With the exception of his wife. Abraham interceded for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses often was on his face for the people of Israel. Interceding for them. God spared them from this plague and the plague would reverse or stop. Elijah prayed for the Israelites during his day. Daniel and Nehemiah the same had these intercessory moments where they were standing in saying, God restore, God change, God move, God forgive. And God responded to the prayers of these leaders. And we have it right here as record. And they are no different than you. You need to accept that. Oh, Daniel's way greater than me. Only by his activity, perhaps. Only by his dedication that is recorded for us. Only by his steadfastness to principle. You know, the day they said, we're going to make it illegal for, you to, for anybody in the nation to pray to any other God, Daniel was part of the leadership. And he said, okay, the edict's been made. I guess I'll go home and pray. Just like I always have. I pray three times a day. I get in my house. I open my windows toward Jerusalem and towards the east. And I pray to my God. I pray to the Hebrew God. I pray this one we're talking about. The Lord Almighty. And just because some nation says you can't do it. Doesn't mean I'm going to stop. Because it is my habit. It is my regularity. To stand in the gap. To build up the hedge. And to pray to God for his mercy. And we know the end of the story. Daniel in the lion's den. With the, with the leader up all night, anxious about it. Saying, my friend Daniel's in here under punishment because I was tricked into this thing. And in the morning, pulls the stone and yells, Daniel, has your God delivered you? He says, oh yeah, we're just down here petting the lions. All is well. Things are good. My God reigns. The Lord Almighty, the one I pray to three times a day, even though you say I can't, has paid off here today. And what does the king do? He says, quick, get him out of there. And go find those guys that made me, trick me into this law and their families and toss them in. And it says their bodies didn't even hit the floor before the lions took them out. Those lions were hungry. Those lions were ready. But there's a God in heaven who answers prayer. And you are no different than Daniel. You are no different than Sarah. You are no different than Esther. You are no different than Paul or Timothy. You can't look at the people in the Bible and say they're greater than you. They just got in the book. They're there, the Bible says, for our example. They're there for our training. They're there to remind us of what is possible as we walk in the same element. You might think your simple prayers are not effective, but God promises He will hear from heaven and He will answer you when you pray. Things change when you pray. Things change when we intercede. We just sometimes don't get to see it happen in the first person. It doesn't mean we should stop. It doesn't mean we should give up. It means we should still intercede and we should still ask God for His mercy. And if we can do it collectively, all the better. We do it corporately because the Bible promises if any two of us agree is touching anything on earth, then our Father in Heaven will do it for us. 
And our greatest prayer this week will be, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this first message, there was a sentence I wanted to share with you. Charles Hodge says, Prayer is a form of spiritual activity and essential to spiritual life, as essential as the pulsation of the heart is to the natural life. It is the evidence and exercise of life. It is necessary to life's continuance. A prayerless Christian, this is the sentence that stands out for me, a prayerless Christian and a pulseless man are alike impossible. A prayerless Christian and a pulseless man are alike impossible. What a great sentence that is. You can't get up in the morning and say, I won't need a pulse today. And as a Christian, we can't get up and say, I won't need to pray today. What is prayer? Prayer is conversation with God. Prayer is dialoguing with Him. Prayer is not just always throwing things in His direction, expecting Him to do everything. It's a conversation. One that comes with premeditation. I believe if you want to foster a good prayer life, one of the things that I would submit to you is that you anticipate it. Have you ever gone to see a friend? You said, I'll be over at four. I'm coming to say hi. Or you made a prearrangement. Now I know you just text them and say you're on the way. But I'm coming over. And all the time you're on your way, you're thinking about the things you'll talk about. You're thinking about the reason for your visit. Or perhaps you've made the extra effort to see somebody that's in a hospital that's generally off the mountain. And you've uh, said, I've got to plan my day. I've got to leave at this time. I've got to make sure there's gas in the tank or get a ride or whatever. I'm going to get there. And then why am I going there? They may be, you know, half knocked out or still in pain or whatever the issue is. And you know that you won't be staying long to trouble them. But that while you're there, you're going to be very specific in your relationship. You're going to be very specific in your purpose. And you're not going to leave without reading them a scripture or two or reminding and encouraging them of God's closeness. And then you're going to lay hands on them and pray for them. And then you're going to quietly slip out while they rest. And then you're going to drive back home. And yeah, you're going to stop and get something to eat. And you're going to make your Costco run or whatever it is you've got to do. But you're going to do all that. And it's going to take you about eight hours to do all of that. Amen? In one day. And you say, I did it with purpose. I did it on purpose. I did it with premeditation. I knew why I was going to have a relationship with this friend of mine. And our prayer life is very similar. Say, oh, today I'm going to meet with Jesus. Today I'm going to meet with God. Today I'm going to converse in and with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be with Him. And I'm going to meet at this time. And these are the topics I'm going to bring up. And He's going to speak back to me and tell me things I hadn't considered yet. Uh, Jeremiah says, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great mighty things which you haven't even thought about yet. And so when you get in the dialogue with God, he's involved. He's just waiting for you to kind of empty your chambers sometimes. Go back, give me all of it. Empty your heart out before me. Now let me pour in life. Let me pour in response. Let me pour in answers that you didn't think were possible. And by the way, while we've been talking, I've already been taking care of many of the things that were on your heart. Remember one time we used to have a platform built in here and I was, we were in a service and I've shared this a couple of times but 
we were talking about prayer, and I, I saw this picture in my mind. You know, I work visually most of the time. And here on the throne, up on the platform of our church, was God seated on his throne. And I thought, oh. And I had all these things I needed him to deal with. And I had like little chits of paper with requests on them. And all over the room, people were praying. It's like we were collecting this little, well, quite a lot of little slips of paper with requests on them. And I thought, I'll, I'll just I'll just slip up here to the platform right below his feet and I'll just slip these out in front of him and then I'll, I'll withdraw. I said, because he's God and I'm not. And I, he could, I'll just slip my requests in there. And as I, I saw myself move up and lay those at his feet and then begin to slip out, he said, excuse me, wait just a moment. And I looked down and all this, there were angels coming in from every direction and they were grabbing these slips of paper. And they were gone. And these angels were dispatched in every direction and they had taken every slip of paper and the floor was empty. And he said, excuse me, could you stay a while? I'd like to just talk with you. I'd like to just be together. I've taken care of all the things you needed. It's already done. They've been dispatched. They're, they're on their way. The answers are coming. But I just would like for you to stay. And it just broke me. I thought, God, God of the universe wants me to just stay and sit and talk. And, and I don't even have anything to talk about because all my needs are gone. <laughs> Everything I thought I could bring up has disappeared. Now there's a great picture of spending time with God. I, I wish I could say I originated it. It would be great. Put in a book, maybe sell a few hundred copies. It's not it. God originated that vision for me to demonstrate for me that He is at work even before we ask. That's what the scripture says. He knows the request before they even hit our tongues. Why do we hesitate to come? We're not hesitating as much as we used to, are we? Let's congratulate ourselves. We're doing better. Pat somebody and say, you're doing better. You're doing better. We're doing better. We're not here to condemn ourselves. Amen? We're here to congratulate ourselves and celebrate the powerful God that we serve who's now calling us as a nation to pray again. And the leadership of the nation, and I mean those spiritual leaders, those apostolic voices, those leaders in the body of Christ are saying, let's gather for prayer. One of the things that will happen, and I mentioned it sort of tongue-in-cheek, is that quite seriously, if you want to be there, City Hall, noon, Thursday. Those are being called out to pray at City Hall all across the nation. It's a movement. It's a place to say our government needs to submit its knees to Jesus. He's to bow before the King of glory. And we're going to stand on that property and declare his lordship together. Well, that's the lawsuit is there to prevent us from doing that. And I don't think it's effective yet, but, you know, let's give them something to fight about. So the concept is show up at City Hall, uh, leave your place of work. If you've got an hour for lunch, 12 to 1, the idea is leave your place of work, take 20 minutes to get to City Hall, pray from 1220 to 1240, and then head back to work. But when you get there, nobody's going to be in charge. There'll just be other believers milling around. You'll see friends and other Christians. It's just going to be a rising of the moment. And you'll just get into little groups and say, let's pray. And then you can get there to chat. If you want to chat, get there at noon. And you know, be in the chat session over with. But from 1220 to 1240, it's intercession and prayer together. And we can do that. We're citizens of the community. We can go to City Hall and we can hang out. I and mean, if we can go there and hang out and do other stuff, we ought to be able to pray there. Amen? So that's a place. And I think that may be even suggested on the Thursday uh, prayer strategy sheet. But I am 
calling for us, calling all Christians. Could we show up for duty on Thursday night at 7? Could we all be there for the National Day of Prayer? Uh, child care is covered uh, to the extent that every part of the family has got something to do at the National Day of Prayer this year. And I think that's a big thing. And I thank uh, Don Four and the Community Church by the Lake for providing that place for us to meet so that we have different rooms for those activities to take place. If, if you happen to be uh, a person who would really, in a sacrificial way, I think, be willing to be in prayer with infants, you know, you do your intercessory prayer in a rocking chair, so to speak, holding a baby or taking care of the little ones under five, we could supply you as part of the team there to uh, and just let me know that or let Arloa know that, uh, that you would be willing to serve at the National Day of Prayer. We need about six, easily six uh, infant care workers to be together. And you could be praying in there. And it's kind of a sacrifice not to be out in the big deal event and to be in the background, uh, but you would be supporting the ability for families to come together, husbands and wives not have to decide who's got to stay home with the kids. We can all go because somebody's going to serve there. So that's a that's a high and noble task, I think. Uh, so if that's you, let me know or let our low know so that we can put you on the roster for Thursday night. Well, praise the Lord. Thanks for being here today. I feel like I've just sort of talked a lot. I think we've talked about important things. And uh, God is calling us to prayer. God is calling for a revival in prayer. Let's pray together before we go. Lord, help us to hear your voice. Help us to understand the call to prayer. Settle it in our heart that we are your people and that we do have a responsibility to answer the command for intercession. Inspire us this week all across this community, wherever we go and drive and walk, shop, Play and educate. Lord, put a prayer upon our lips and our hearts that we would utter for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. Show us the different component parts of our culture that we need to intercede for. Be spontaneous within us to lift up arts and media and government and education and families and marriage and young people. God, stir us to speak in agreement with you, your heartbeat for our community and for our nation. We're in trouble. Lord, and we're not the first time in trouble. There are those in history in trouble ahead of us, and yet they were able to call together and bow the knee and to humble themselves and pray, Lord, lead us in this. We ask, teach us in this of our effective role as active Christians in this community. Raise us up as salt and light. Put a word of hope upon our lips in a step a joyful step in our walk as we are among people so that they will look to see you alive in us and say, why do you have such hope? And give us an open testimony of your grace and help us to lead others into relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.